Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. Whether it's with someone close to you or someone you just met, sharing your faith can be difficult, but our God knows the challenge and His Word contains wisdom for how to meet that challenge. In our current series, Living an Intentional Life, we're learning about the five eyes of evangelism. Identify, invest, intercede, inform, and invite. These five steps will help you to build a biblical strategy for bringing the gospel to others and watching for God to multiply your efforts. We're glad you're listening and we hope this series will renew your commitment to spread the good news. Now let's listen in. glad that you guys are here today. As I said before, we're coming in for a landing on a series that we've been in for the last few weeks that's all about living an intentional life um, and exploring the idea of what it means for us to answer the call that God has placed on the life of each and every heart and soul of every believer to communicate the truth of his love, the message that we have of hope that's found in Jesus Christ. We'll say that being an intentional disciple maker, living an intentional life, um, it means several things. We've called these five eyes throughout our entire series. The first is that you identify, that you identify people in your circle, the people that you have direct influence with and contact with, that you identify those people who need to know the truth about Jesus. Regardless of how you know them or what kind of context you have that relationship, you figure out, hey, who do I know that needs to know the hope that I found in Christ, the gospel message that I believe. You identify who those people are, and we asked you to do that early on in the series and to begin praying for those people and looking for an opportunity to invest in those relationships. That's the next I, that you invest in those relationships, demonstrating Jesus and the way that you live, the fruits of the Spirit that we engaged over the last series, the idea of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You live that out in such a way in front of them, like 1 Peter 3.15, that they, they ask you, why do you have such hope? Why do you have such joy? Why does your life seem at peace? How in the world can you be so gentle when the world is falling apart. Like those are the opportunities that you're demonstrating Jesus so that you earn a right to be heard. And all throughout it, you're interceding. That means praying on somebody else's behalf. You're interceding regularly, asking God that they may have spiritual softness. Some people we identified early on in this series are, are, are just people that need information about Jesus, but there are those who are antagonistic to faith or even closed, they think so, closed towards the good message of the gospel. So you're asking that God would soften them, that he would provide boldness in you and power from him to be able to communicate the message, that's the next I, the one we talked about last week. The idea of informing people the truth, the truth about God's good news. And you do that with humility and you do that with respect. And today is all about that fifth and final I, and it's the word invite. I am so glad that I got married 22 years ago and not 
two years ago, because there's a lot that's been happening in the world of invitations. I don't know if you know this. Um, maybe you've heard of it. Some of you college students, I know that you experienced it. It's a promposal back in high school. People have upped their game. And I'll just go ahead and tell you that in the 1900s, when I wanted to ask a girl to the prom, I literally just said, hey, would you like to go to the prom with me? And she said, no, no, I'm just kidding. Like she said, yes. And we went and it was a fun night had by all. Nowadays, if you want to invite a girl to go to the prom with you, you have to have a flash mob and a marching band and about $300 to spend on all of the fantastic things that you're going to do to invite her to go with you. And think about the pressure high school students that you're putting on all of the other grownups who later in life, listen, if you got invited to the prom with a big-time show that went viral on YouTube, then imagine what you're expecting when there's a ring involved. Like, whoa, we're just up in the ante, and the pressure, literally, I proposed to Susan, she said yes, and the next invitation I learned was not the one that we sent to all of our friends and relatives to come and witness the wedding. The next invitation was the one where you asked your friends to come and stand beside you as bridesmaid or no, we didn't do a lot of fancy stuff then, like we weren't making posters and signs and bulletin boards on I-65 inviting them to come and be bridesmaids, but she did ask seven of her closest girlfriends to be bridesmaids, and then four additional friends to be honorary bridesmaids. Now, if you ask me, those girls got the real big bonus in the wedding, because they got all of the title and all of the status and all of the joy of being one of her designated closest friends but they didn't have to buy an ugly dress and stand next to her. <laughs> Sign me up for that, okay? I remember thinking early on we wanted it to be symmetrical at the altar of the church where we got married, and so since she invited seven of her closest friends, I was going to have to find seven total strangers because I didn't have that many friends who I could boldly go to and say, hey, we're kind of close, we were roommates, we had a couple classes together, can you spend $100 on a suit that you rent that's ugly and uncomfortable and stand next to me for an hour and pretend I have relationships? Like, this is really tough for dudes. Like, a lot of pressure to make sure that you come spend a whole bunch of money and feel awkward and uncomfortable for an hour right beside me. Like, that's hard pressure, but it's the invitation. And I'm convinced that a lot of people feel that way about coming to Christ. Whoa, you want me to trust Jesus? That means I have to put on some really uncomfortable clothes and go be awkward for the rest of my life. And it feels like a lot of pressure. No, it's actually the honorary situation. You get to just be you, and you get to be an honored guest at a table that he set for you. And you didn't have to wear anything uncomfortable or pay for any of it. That's the invitation. So that's what we're talking about today with the idea that we are invited to come to know Christ. And the reason why we spent five weeks on this and the reason why we ought to spend five years on this and maybe the remainder of our lives on this is because there are very high stakes at play. What are they? The first one is this. If you're a person that likes to jot down notes and fill in blanks so that you can stay awake and remember things later, I invite you to write down, we have unknown earthly limits. Unknown earthly limits. Job chapter 14 says for us, it's literally talking about the Lord. A person's days are determined. You 
You, God of this great universe, has decreed the number of his months and have set limits that he cannot exceed. And what that means in layman's terms and what we have to understand and what we subscribe to, and this is not me being insensitive, it's literally the word of God and a truth that is foundational for us is that he set all of this in motion. He alone knows the number of hairs on my head or the lack thereof these days and the number of hours that I will live my life. And what that means for us is that the person that we lost too young, we can say to God how sad we are, how broken we are, how upset we are, but what we cannot say is that that person went too young because they went exactly at the right time that God had preordained that they would go. And we can't say about our aging great-grandparents who are failing in health and suffering in great ways that God somehow left them here too long because there is no too long. He has decreed the number of months. He has set limits that you and I cannot exceed. And so what that means is if I keel over from a heart attack this afternoon, now that would be weird. Like if I do, y'all are like, did he predict that? Is it a prophecy? Like y'all check on me later to make sure I'm okay. What it means is, is that 44 years was not too short. What it means is that God had preordained how long it would last. Now, y'all are going to need to rally around Susan and my kids, and I'm going to need you to step up your game of support to make sure that they're well taken care of in this moment because it's going to be a shock. But what it does not mean is that God was somehow absent and forgot to pay attention to Nick Allen later today. He's in charge. And so a foundational truth about what I believe and what we teach and what is present in this scripture is that God alone has set limits and we don't get to know in advance what they are. So there's an urgency because you don't know how long you have in order to communicate the hope that you've been given. And you don't know how long somebody else has in order to hear it from you. The thing about it is that we are concerned it's high stakes because of people's eternal security. Foundationally, what we believe, what we teach, why we gather is what's found in 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 through 9. And this is a hard verse, but not an insensitive verse. It says he, the great God of this universe, will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. That's good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means that he came, he was perfect, he lived, he died, he sacrificed, he rose. And he's gone to prepare a place for us that he's invited us to join him. But without accepting the invitation, we don't get to go. It says they'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Foundationally, we believe this. Now, I'm not standing on a street corner with a megaphone or a bullhorn, and I don't really know what the difference is between those two, so it's one of those things. Like, I'm not standing on a street corner with a megaphone or a bullhorn. Again, I don't know what the difference is. Shouting at people who walk by like that guy was in the 1900s on my college campus. I think he traveled to universities all across the country in weird clothes with posters that said things like, you're going to hell, you're going to, like mean stuff, and yelling at college students while they walked by. Like, I'm not that guy. And I hope that you aren't either. If you are, we're going to need to have a conversation about how you understand what this means that we're supposed to live out the faith that we have. Like, we're not those people that are standing on street corners yelling obscenities at folks 
folks about the danger that they're in of everlasting torment. But if we truly believe that we are eternally saved from all of that because of the gracious gift that we've received in Jesus Christ and that other people who have not yet trusted in faith, the gracious gift that they've received from Jesus Christ, that they are somehow going to spend eternity apart from God, we have an urgent message to bring and we all know how long we have to bring it. So the stakes really are high. Maybe the very highest. So what we do, we prioritize in our lives spiritual fruit. That this is the stuff that really matters. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 5, it says this. Paul's literally writing to a church that was planted because of his ministry. He goes to Ephesus, he plants a church. Some people from there go to Colossae, a neighboring town, and they plant a church. And now he's in prison writing letters to all those churches and to the people that he planted churches with. And he says this. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. Like we're literally saying that this is where hope comes from, that this is where peace comes from, that this is why we're able to love, that this is why we're able to be patient and kind and respectful and gentle and have exhibit any sort of self-control in our lives because of the Holy Spirit transforming us from the inside out and replacing our selfish lives with a picture of peace because of Jesus. Like, you've received that, Paul writes, and then he says this, true message of the gospel that has come to you, that has come to you in the same way way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace that somehow that somehow or another this gospel continues to multiply that other people come to faith when we prioritize spiritual fruit when we're working hard to invest in other people's lives so that we can plant seeds of faith and hope in them when we're praying for them daily and when we're willing to step up to the proverbial plate and tell them what this gospel story is and why on earth we would believe it in love and in gentleness and respect we get to communicate what that truth is and invite them to know it too so we just make it a priority. Like spiritual fruit matters because we don't know how long we have and because people's eternal security is at stake. So we prioritize the fact that we want to have a gospel conversation when we're given the opportunity or when we're bold enough to seize it because it matters. Next thing we have to do is endure. The Bible doesn't say that this is going to be easy. It says in Galatians chapter 6, following all of those good things of the fruit of the Spirit that we learned in chapter 5, that we're not supposed to become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Like it doesn't mean that it will be easy, but we somehow have to endure. We have to go through it. Because it's worth it. Several weeks ago at the beginning of the series, we watched a video from Penn Gillette. He's part of the Penn and Teller, those guys that do magic on stage and do shows and probably make a bunch of money doing really cool things. Well, they're devout atheists, people that do not express faith in Christ. There's a video that went viral of him saying, hey, Christians, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that you really have the answer to their eternal destiny and not tell them. about How much do you have to hate somebody? And realizing and understanding that the conversations will be hard, that the challenges will be big, we still step in and endure whatever that is because those people are worth it. And then we eagerly understand our obligation. In Romans chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, Paul writes, I am obligated 
Like I'm under obligation to both Greeks and non-Greeks. He could have said Jews and non-Jews, both to the wise and the foolish. Basically, that's synonymous with everyone. I'm obligated to everybody. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to those of you who are in Rome. Not only eager, but willing to do absolutely anything and everything, whatever it takes for somebody to see and experience and know and trust Jesus. That word obligated, if we go back to the original Greek language, that it was pendis afiletes, afiletes. And it literally means somebody who's in debt to somebody else. Somebody who's under obligation. Somebody who is bound by some sort of duty. And so we understand that. Because of the grace that we've been extended, because of the forgiveness that we have received, we are obligated to other people to tell them the good news of it. But not obligated in a really painful way, but obligated in a really eager way, which is prothumos. And it means ready and willing. It's the compound word of pro and thumos, which means before, like in advance, we're ready. The Bible says always be ready in and out of season. Always be prepared to give an answer for like be ready in advance because you don't know what's coming at you. Thumos means passion. Like I'm excited about this. Like I'm, I'm ready for it. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he's literally explaining the gospel message that he brings and why he was willing to go to such great lengths for somebody to come to know faith in Christ. He says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law, not being without God's law, but the law that's within Christ. That's the law of love. So that he could win those without the law. Then it says, to the weak, I became weak. I have become all things. This is the verse you memorize. I have become all things to all people so that by all means possible, I might save some. That's why we do what we do. That's why we work. That's how we serve how we serve. And we are obligated. Like we're bound by the faith that we've expressed in Jesus to eagerly and joyfully and excitedly present that message. Yeah, we want to invite people to church. Sure, and there's a lot of stuff coming up at Christmas that you can invite people to, a lot of exciting things that are happening that are easy to drop that invitation, and somehow, statistically, people are more apt to accept an invitation to church at Christmas than other times throughout the year, so like, hey, the opportunities are real big. Yeah, we want to invite people to church, but more so, don't take the cop out. More so, you want to present the gospel and invite people to trust. You want to invite people to trust in Jesus Several summers ago, in the height of COVID-19 outbreak in 2020, we weren't going to invite people to our house because apparently you weren't supposed to do that, but we invited people to our driveway to sit really far apart and read a book together. It was fun. It's called Uncommon Ground by Tim Keller and John Inazu. It says this, I like, I'll read to you this morning. In secular pluralistic cultures, that's the one we live in, lots of options. Christians are often afraid to talk about their beliefs because they don't know what to say. Pastors of believers in such places, like me, they often feel that they must fill their flock with intellectual content until their people feel competent to take on all objections and arguments. I do feel that, pre- do y'all feel like I should do that better? Like, do you feel, do you, do you want to put that pressure on me? Because I, I feel it. And, and I'll just tell you, like we tell our kids, we would rather you be kind than smart. Like, that's it. 
Like at the end of the day, I would much rather you be a kind congregation than a smart congregation. Now, here's the deal. We'd actually rather you be both. Like we would love for you to be both kind and smart. But if we have to settle for one or the other, we're going with kindness any day of the week. If I could raise a kid who knows and follows Jesus Christ and trusts him as personal Lord and Savior and is excited about being nice to others so that they could win people in faith, I would be more happy about that than I would be if they were the valedictorian of Hillsborough High School. Now, truth be told, it'd be awesome if they were both. <laughs> but at the end of the day, being kind is better than smart. In fact, they, they write that. They say intellectual arguments, while necessary, are not of first importance. Because FYI, all the intellectual answers in the world from people who are arrogant are not sufficient answers. He says people should be humble rather than defensive, should seek to patiently persuade rather than coerce or marginalize, and should tolerate and respect rather than demonize. You want to write that down? Tolerate and respect rather than demonize. Why? It says the gospel removes pride. If we truly understand the gospel of grace that says we didn't deserve any of this in the first place, it removes all pride, which might be the greatest barrier to any exchange of ideas. It tells us that we're all sinners and that it's only by God's grace, not because we're wiser or better than anyone. And truth be told, there are churches all over the world who are literally sitting around in a holy huddle saying, we have found truth and we are so much better than not only worldly sinners in the world, but all the other churches in the world. Like we just know more, have more, do more, are more. And there's this arrogant building of pride that happens. There's, it's true on the outside too. Like people that are outside the walls of any church in America that are looking around at the idiot Christians inside who believe such poppycock when they alone have found scientific proof that there is no God. Like there's pride on both sides. And the gospel eradicates it all by telling us that we must never think that we're beyond sin. We still do that, yo. Or that we are beyond the need for repentance and renewal. That's humility. It says the gospel removes cynicism and pessimism. It gives people hope that anyone's eyes can be opened and that some sort of change can happen. Have you ever looked at somebody in your life and just thought there is absolutely no way under the sun that they will ever turn and trust Christ? You've already written it off and you've already answered the question because they are far too gone and removed from faith to ever take an adequate step towards God. He can work in any kind of person, we should never think that anyone is beyond the hope of change. The gospel removes indifference. It's 1 John 3, 16. That we're told that Christ laid down his life for us, and so we should lay down our lives for others. We must endure. This will take sacrifice. For Christians, it says the uncomfortable question is this. If we have been loved despite our flaws... And if we have discovered the greatest thing in the world is absolutely Jesus Christ, then how can we be abrasive about it or quiet about it? Knowledge produces tolerance, but more than that, it produces love. Lastly, the gospel removes fear. While we should be concerned to not needlessly offend people, the assurance of God's love and acceptance should give us all the courage that we need to face any sort of criticism and disapproval. 
Christians do need instruction and training. We should equip you with answers to tough questions, apologetic arguments that people might make against the words that are in this book and the questions that they have about the truths that it expounds. We should somehow be able to better ourselves at answering any of the objectives that skeptics may have. But first and foremost, this is a gospel of humility and patience and love And so courage has to grow in us so that love can find a way. Some might say, but what if the people that we engage with humility and with patience and with love and courage respond with anger and vitriol and efforts to marginalize us? Just because something is hard doesn't mean that it's not right. We don't engage the gospel. We don't invest in others. We don't pray for their salvation. We don't inform them about God's good news of faith. And we don't invite them to place their trust in him because we will be successful. We do it because it's right. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, following a verse that says, Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He says this, How then can they call on the one that they've not believed in? Like If you don't believe in God, why are you going to cry out to him? And how can they believe in the one that they have not heard of? How can you believe if you don't know? And how can they hear without someone preaching it to them or speaking it to them or or sharing it with them? Questions you might ask the people in your life who are distant from faith is, hey, tell me what you believe. And tell me why you believe it. Or tell me what you don't believe and what makes this hard to accept. Tell me what's standing in your way of trusting that there's a great God in this universe who loved you enough to forgive you of all wrong and invite you to be a part of his family. What's, what's standing in your way? And then maybe be willing to answer that same question. What's standing in your way of sharing them that truth? Because we're all called. I want you to see a video this morning of someone who is and who answered and who saw incredible things happen because they told people who Jesus is. Along the banks of the Amazon, there are thousands of communities who feel abandoned and forgotten. 80% of the state has no gospel presence, but there are hundreds of jungle pastors taking the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. As they follow the call to go, the hardships and trials they face can be overwhelming. o Senhor me chamou para a obra missionária e eu larguei tudo para servir ao Senhor. E nós fomos para um lugar que a gente não conhecia, morar num lugar que tinha dificuldade de água, de alimento, tinha dificuldade de a gente se locomover para evangelizar. 2019 estava assim no meu limite e chegou um mensagem para mim de alguém muito especial me convidando, você não quer ir para uma conferência de pastores ribeirinhos? E o nome dessa pessoa é Sara Rodrigues. Foi quando eu conheci a JMA na minha vida. 
Each year, Justice and Mercy Amazon offers Jungle Pastors Conferences for men and women who pastor river churches situated throughout the Amazon. O primeiro impacto na subida da escada da Terra da Paz foi pessoas com sorrisos de quem conhece o que faz, de quem sabe o sofrimento do pastor. Quando é à noite, na janta, uma pessoa chegou por trás de mim e disse assim, você é o pastor Esdras? E ele disse, olha, eu sou o pastor José Bezerra, eu moro em uma aldeia e o povo lá estão é abandonado há três anos, sem visita, sem ajuda. E eu convidei os irmãos que são poucos crentes lá a fazer uma campanha. Nós fizemos uma campanha de 21 dias de oração. E quando terminou essa campanha de 21 dias, Deus mostrou o Senhor para nós, ainda deu o seu nome, Esdras. Eu disse, bom, se Deus falou isso, eis-me aqui, envia-me a mim. Mas no meu coração, eu estava dizendo, como pode um negócio desse? Eu, não... eu vim para desistir, eu não posso cuidar nem de mim. Dois meses e meio depois, nós fizemos a nossa primeira viagem para a aldeia Babastuba, para conhecer o trabalho lá naquele lugar. E Deus colocou isso no nosso coração, a gente passamos a treinar, ensinar, é, é, fazer é, é, curso de capacitação para eles. A Seara é grande, mas Deus tem levantado pessoas especiais para fazer o ídio do Senhor. Que quando tudo parece que se fechou, Deus encontra uma porta. Né? E Deus abriu a porta através da JMA. Né? E eu pude assim ver um panorama diferente do que Deus tinha para mim. Se eu, se eu tivesse desistido, se eu tivesse parado, né? como seria hoje? In July 2022, Pastor Esdras returned to the Jungle Pastors Conference. But this time, he wasn't ready to give up. He was a man on a mission. And this time, he brought 12 others with him, including the chief of the Baba Achuba tribe. Talvez você que participa, que ajuda, que apoia a JMA, talvez você não tenha percepção como eles conseguem se conectar com pastores que estão a ponto de desistir, a ponto de parar. É de dar as mãos e dizer, olha, tem alguém que está ao seu lado. Talvez você possa entender hoje o motivo de centenas de pastores ser alcançados por eles. Porque Deus tem um propósito nisso. A, a gente consegue sentir o amor de vocês por nós. Hoje eu sou uma testemunha viva de que Deus pode fazer através da JMA. I had to be with Pastor Esdras in 2019 um, at the Pastors Conference when he came in defeated and ready to give up, but the Lord did a new work in him. 
And then obviously because of some time that passed and we weren't able to go, several years went, and the Lord was continuing to do an incredible work. So I got to be back with him this summer in July of 2022 when he brought that incredible tribe of people. And we showed this video at the JMI Gala this year, and it was just an incredible opportunity to highlight what God is doing through one of our jungle pastors. But the story that we didn't get to tell is what happened through the chief. You see that chief that you saw with the cool feathers in the video? Um, she, didn't, she speaks an indigenous language. She didn't read and write in Portuguese to Pastor Ezra's. Before coming to the conference, knowing the content that would be presented, he said, I've got to bring a translator who can bring her indigenous language and make it practical so that she can understand the things that she's reading and called to write down every single day of the week. So they bring this translator who's there helping the chief, scribing things down all week long. We got to meet her, and it was exciting. Towards the end of the week at the Jungle Pastors Conference, there's all this celebration going on, and we're like, well, what's happening over here? And we finally get somebody to find a translator to tell us why this group of people is so incredibly happy in this moment. It's because the young lady that they bought to translate had trusted Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior and given her heart to him. It's unbelievable. The faithful obedience of this man that went to a community when he was ready to give up, God has multiplied faith. Um, to a tribe that previously did not get to know that Jesus loved them and died for him. Sometimes I think I might be looking out at some people who may be ready to give up. And I'd just like to say that God has called you by name and, and, and told you where to go and, and told you who to tell. And, and those are the very people that are out there waiting for an invitation that only you're going to bring. And so my hope and prayer is that you'll courage up and bring it. Make that ask. Have that conversation. Tell that story. Extend that invitation for somebody to know and place their faith in Christ. You're not being asked to stand on a stage in a really uncomfortable outfit and do something awkward for an hour. But you're honored. And you get to be yourself. You get to do you out wherever you do it and invite people to know the hope that you have because Jesus loves you and because he loves them too. That's the message that we bring. And that's the hope-filled way that we get to bring it. Let's pray together. As we enter into this time of prayer, I'll ask ushers to come forward. This is a time in our worship gathering where those of us who call Rolling Hills their, their church home, their, their home base, their, their family of ministry, we give back to God's work that's here, um, here in our kids' ministry in this building, here in our community around Nashville, and then also around the whole planet through the work that we do with JMI to make sure that people get to know and hear about Jesus. And so we give obediently and sacrificially knowing that he's better with our resources than we are. And we trust that he takes them and that he multiplies them and he uses them to do his will. Truth be told, if we could put ourselves in the basket, we would. Because we want to give all of our lives, like Paul, whatever it takes for somebody to see and hear. If you're a first-time guest with us this morning, we want you to drop in the card because we'd like to get to know you better and tell you more about the things that are happening here. For those of you with prayer requests or next steps of faith, to be baptized, to join, to serve, to give, whatever it is. We want to see those things happen because it multiplies our opportunity to share the good news. Father, we pray that you would take 
not just the gifts that are given today, but the hearts of the givers, and that you will continue to mold us and shape us into a people who we feel so passionately about people in the world, that we feel so urgent about expressing faith out there in the world, that we're willing to do whatever it takes and endure whatever we need in order to communicate your love. God, you've extended a great invitation to us to know Jesus, and that comes with the responsibility to share Jesus. So may we be a people who invite others to know Jesus. It's in his name that we pray today. Amen. That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so that you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History and Parenting podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're thankful you spent some time with us today. We'll see you next time.